I have one question, maybe five. What do you guys think of when you think of the opera? Oh, man. I, I, uh, uh, um, um, ooh, um, um, like singing, I guess. I have no clue. <laughs> Talented people. Um, strong voices. A fat lady singing. My old, my dad likes it, so. Old Italian people <laughs> singing on a stage. And like shattering glass. I think like a bunch of rich people kind of sitting in a theater. What does an opera singer look like? I think of like the like big white wigs and you know all proper like that you ever see bugs the bugs bunny shows where they go to the opera and there's that lady singing that <laughs> if you were to go see an opera in victoria how much do you think it would cost you like for one ticket probably very expensive 50 bucks oh yeah. like 150 maybe okay 175 100 bucks yeah. 100 yeah what would you wear if you went to the opera like something i would wear to prom bow tie like are girls expected to wear ball gowns, ball gowns. oh gloves and would you ever go to an opera if you had the chance? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I would. Yeah. I think it's like some, yeah, like something you gotta like try out just to see. Yeah. I'd go if they were going. I think I would just for the experience, like one if time. Some, if yeah. somebody gave me a free ticket, I'd go. Yeah. I don't know if I'd pay to go. Yeah. If it wasn't like four hours long. Maybe. No, it wouldn't be my first choice if I'm being honest. <laughs> Probably not. This is All Access on CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria, broadcasting from the Husanich and Songhees territories of the Sanchothan and Lekwungen-speaking peoples, whose relationship with the land continues to this day. On this episode, we take a deep dive into the world of opera musicians living in Victoria. <laughs> Well, some people have, uh, for some people, I think the only experience they have with opera is like through Bugs Bunny. People have a sort of stereotypical view of, uh, you know, very large woman in a helmet and a breastplate um, <laughs> right. singing excruciatingly loudly, you know, for four hours straight. And and <laughs> there are some operas that are in that vein, but opera is such a huge there is such a huge range of operas that there's no one musical sound to opera. That's the the sort of stereotypical um, sound that they've they've just kind of assumed is is always what they're going to hear. That was definitely the case for us. I mean, if it weren't for these opera aficionados, we would probably still be living in a world where cartoon rabbits are our only association to a whole genre. All right. Well, I'm Neil Reimer. I'm the co-artistic director and co-founder of Fear No Opera. Okay. Uh, I'm Amy Steggles. I'm also the other half of the co, co-founder, co-artistic director, and a soprano. And you're probably wondering what Fear No Opera is. But before we get to that, it's important to clear up a few glaring issues. Stigmas of the genre. A bunch of rich people. Probably very expensive. My old, my dad likes it, so... Here's Neil and Amy again. There is this image of opera that it is um, an old art form uh, and not old in a good way, um, that it is uh, more for uh, the elites than for sort of everyone. Um, and I think there's some people have perhaps some hesitation because they think that all operas are really long and uh, expensive to go to and, and all of that. So Every opera company, I think, uh, works very hard to present itself uh, and to present the art form 
as something that is accessible to people as much as it can be and still be the work of art that it's supposed to be. So let's break it down stereotype by stereotype. Operas are hard to follow because they're all in foreign languages that I don't understand. There are many more operas being both written and and performed now in English, uh, which is obviously the language barrier is one that can be can be quite real for people. But in every uh, company, including ours, we work very hard to make sure that when we do a show in Italian or French, that we have the surtitles which are the uh, real-time translations in English that go with the show so that people who are there and who don't know the, the opera um, can, can f- follow along the story um, really quite closely. You know, people will talk to us before deciding to come to a show and they'll say, oh, well, you know, what if I don't understand? So we explain about the surtitles. And then frequently they come up afterwards and say, I didn't need them. The acting was so good and the music was so expressive. I knew what was going on, so I stopped looking at them, which is great. Even if I were to follow one, operas are outdated and about old things that are not relatable or captivating. And one of the great things about opera is you can take an opera that was written 300 years ago and set it in the modern day. You can have a set and costumes and as if it's uh, 2019 Victoria, if you want. It's, it, it all depends on the conception and the idea that, that your artistic director has as to how to present the story. And the stories are frequently about love and loss and things that are important across time. But keep in mind, there are new operas being written all the time. So it is very much a living art form. Um, fine, but even if I were interested, I don't have the money to pay for an expensive opera ticket. People think, oh, you know, I'm not going to be able to afford it, but um, uh, for us, for example, the most expensive ticket we have is $30. Uh, It's 10 for students, 20 for seniors, so, um, and POV and other, you know, any companies scaled across any sort of size will have reduced ticket prices. You just have to, you know, either ask the box office or, you know, find a way. Okay, even if I were to understand and like the plot, opera is for the elegant and fancy people. And I don't have any of those clothes to wear. I'd look like an idiot. It's no longer the case. If you want to get, you know, into your ball gown or your tux, then you can do that. But you can also just show up in jeans and a t-shirt. You really can. So there you have it. Opera myths busted. I think uh, people who haven't been exposed also sometimes think, frankly, that it's going to be boring. Um, and it's not. It's it's emotional, um, and it can bring you to tears if you go to a drama, but there are all sorts of comedies as well. Um, and so they can be really funny if done well. And the people up on the stage are as much um, actors and comedians as they are singers. And, uh, and it... It, it all boils down to telling the story. Maybe one of the biggest stereotypes we sort of struggle against is not, it's not just one thing. Opera is a, even just, this is just the Western sort of European-based opera tradition we're talking about, is uh, existed over 400 years across multiple countries and multiple languages and different musical traditions. And it's also alive and being written today. Turns out it's more relevant and accessible than we thought. 
It's so accessible that you can go to a movie theater on a Saturday morning and watch the opera with a bag of popcorn as it's streamed from New York to all over the world. They're called simulcasts, and it's actually a point of contention in the opera world. I agree yeah. it is. It brings opera to audiences who otherwise might not go. Uh, and it's uh, it's a way for people to experience opera, and they know if it's a simulcast from the Met in New York, you're seeing and hearing the top talent in the world uh, here in Victoria, any, you know, wherever you're, you're living and where it's being broadcast. But there's also this fear that these simulcasts are taking away from the personal experience of going to a live performance. Especially if I knew the opera, I sometimes got a little bit frustrated because... You can only see what the what the director of the production of the simulcast production is showing you. You only see what the camera and they have many cameras showing you different angles. And sometimes I I knew something else would be going on stage somewhere else and I couldn't see it. Whereas live, you can look at whatever you want to see on the stage and follow you know the entire action as opposed to necessarily the director decides that a close up of the two leads is going to happen right now. But there's a big crowd reaction happening in behind, and, and you don't have the option of going to see that. Watching it on a screen just can't compare. And then, of course, there's just the, there's the sound. There is the thing that makes opera unique is just that unamplified sound of the human voice in, in cutting out and over top of an entire orchestra. And the thrill of that live cannot really be reproduced in a, in a simulcast. They say that to really get the full experience... You have to go to one. And so somewhere along the line, you, you take the leap and you, you buy the ticket uh, and, you, and you go and experience because it is, it's, it's obviously the music of opera is central, but it's theater. And so the only way to really understand and experience it is to, uh, is to see it preferably live. The energy is just completely different. And you know which one is best. It's live. And Amy wonders if simulcasts are causing a shift in the priorities of the modern opera. Um, previously, the music always came first. And the sound and the voice and the musicians. And then, uh, and then there was uh, the look of the thing, because, of course, the the mix of art forms in opera is super important. It's not just instrumentalists and singers. It's a huge, uh, all the sets and costumes are an art form in themselves, and there might even be dancing, and there's lights, and... and yeah, it's uh, a theatrical performance. It's a theatrical performance. And, um, but what's really interesting is uh, there seems to be a, an urge right now, a rush right now, that more and more opera singers start looking like movie stars, and... I think that has been detrimental to the rest of the pageantry of the art form um, because they might look fabulous and they might look the part, but can they still sing the part? And if they can't sing it, then why are we all still here? And the answer for most is because we want to look at beautiful people. But Amy and Neil are like, at what cost? Um, I mean... Being drop-dead gorgeous and really super thin is somehow more important than being able to sing really well and with great artistry. And I worry that that is taking too much of a front stage. And I bring it up only because I'm not the only person wondering if this is the case. And so if you put 
uh, opera on a movie screen, then do people more and more often expect their uh, singing stars or their opera stars to look like movie stars? At the end of the day, casting people for how they look is just not what opera is all about. Um, I, there, there are certainly stories of even very well-known singers who uh, have been turned down for roles that their vo- that vocally they may have been perfect for and have sung in the past um, because of their weight. I mean, when you think about it, you don't pick a hockey player because he looks like a hockey player. You pick him because he has amazing skill. And that's what we should be expecting from our singers. Finding all this out took us down an intriguing path. We thought, what else don't we know about this genre? And it turns out, there was actually a lot. Even the history of it might surprise you. Opera was born in Florence, and there's a few reasons why. One of them is that back in the 1600s, music was magic. Florentines believed that singing created a connection between the earthly world and the cosmos, and that vocal expression could move the soul. A group of Florentine intellectuals, called the Camerata, began recreating Greek dramas with music, which is how the first opera was written. You can't listen to it because it's been lost to history. It was written in 1597 by Jacopo Peri, and it was called Daphne. But then he wrote another one that did survive the ravages of time in 1600. It's called Eurydice, and it's about Orpheus's journey to the underworld to revive his dead wife. Two opera styles emerged, opera seria, which is what it sounds like, serious, formal pieces designed for royalty and the people that paid them, and opera buffa, which are comedies. Opera buffa is opera for the people and were about common problems. They used language of the lower class and were meant to appeal to the masses. The practice of castrating prepubescent boys to preserve their unbroken voices predates opera, but opera definitely adopted it. In Italy, in the late 1600s, castrati, as they were known, were the bar for main male roles. If an opera didn't have at least one popular castrato, it would have not been a hit with the audiences of the time. Here is a recording of the only castrato ever to have been recorded. Alessandro Moreschi, recorded sometime in the early 1900s. Side note, castration also made their limbs grow extremely long and the bones of their ribs, which gave them huge lung capacity for singing opera. Obviously, this was eventually outlawed. And speaking of outlaws, an opera performance helped start the Belgian Revolution in 1830. It was a performance of The Mute Girl of Portici by the French composer Daniel Aubert. Tensions were already high with political discontent brewing, but then audiences in Brussels got so fired up by this opera about an Italian fisherman who led an uprising against the rulers of Naples that by the fifth act they were in the streets in a full riot, 
burning down factories, storming government buildings, and demanding independence from the United Kingdom of the Netherlands. Battles between the rebels and the military went on, and eventually the rebels won, which is how Belgium became an independent country. So, opera was both an opulent affair meant for royals and rich people, and a signal of the political landscape for the working masses. And it turns out that Victoria is home to almost every kind of opera singer and opera company. For example, POV, a.k.a. Pacific Opera Victoria. They are a big company in Victoria, put on huge performances at the Royal Theatre, and work with the Victoria Symphony Orchestra. So yeah, they are the pros. But you also have these smaller companies emerging, like Fear No Opera, which are being called Indie Opera. Here's Neil and Amy again. The supposed rule of thumb in North America is that to support a professional opera company, a city needs to be roughly a population of a million. And Greater Victoria has about a third of that. And so it is it's kind of amazing that Pacific Opera Victoria, our professional company, uh, lives and thrives uh, in, a, in a community that's, that's not that big, frankly, by, uh, by those standards. So, but, so we started Fear No Opera in large part because we saw that aside from Pacific Opera Victoria, there wasn't another niche, another level, another way to try and uh, reach out and bring opera to, to Victoria audiences. Yeah. There are some pretty fundamental differences between big opera and indie opera. Not to say there's not an emphasis on um, creativity and originality in for all opera companies, but the one thing that indie opera really has going for it, I think, is because uh, uh, the stakes are smaller, if I can put it that way, um, <laughs> there's there's more of a premium placed on, on taking risks and doing things that uh, maybe haven't been tried before. It's a lot easier to commission a new opera start with a, a new idea or a very different twist on uh, <clears throat> a commonly performed opera. Fear No Opera focuses on more traditional performances, but scales them down to make them suit their capacities as an indie opera. So... Um, so to this point, we haven't uh, been one of those companies that's that's incorporating different uh, artistic or musical traditions. Not to say we might not do that in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think everyone, I mean, there's just so many talented and creative people around. Mm-hmm. And so everyone's got their own vision of the thing that they particularly want to do. And the point of, of this, of establishing something like a collective is just to help support those and have an identity, I think, for people who who do want to go their own way. The more laid-back style is only one of the reasons people are drawn to indie operas. The other is that the big companies are just so competitive. Yes, there is certainly a a supply versus demand uh, scenario going on. Um, And uh, I'm just thinking back to a few years ago, I did one audition and they actually released the stats afterwards and it was something like, 300 people had applied, half of them were sopranos, and, you know, there was maybe 30 spots all total or something, and this wasn't for a show, well, it was for a series of shows. So, I mean, you can do the math. It, it is super competitive, um, and, and frankly, if I'm being honest, some of it is hustle. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and if you don't have the talent for hustle, then you're only going to get so far in this business. Hustle is not the first thing I think of when I think of opera singers. It's a sort of 
uh, stick to itness. Get your face in their face. Remind them that you exist. Don't let them forget you exist. And if you can't hack that as part of your lifestyle, then you're going to find it really tough going to get hired. Um, but again, I don't think that's so different from all sorts of fields out there. And that's just showbiz. But there are some serious requirements for opera singers that seem to be pretty unique to this art form. So we should expect them to be able to, yes, sing very well, but to be able to act magnificently, to um, have the ability to move around on the stage necessarily, to speak probably, frankly, at least four languages, to be able to memorize an entire opera, to um, they probably have some dance skills as well. You know, and I mean, when you think about it, each of those is one area where you could spend a lifetime perfecting um, the art form. Something else they have to be able to do is project. People are frankly shocked when they find out that it's not amplified. I mean, some theaters it's amplified, but for the most part, the point of all this is that you do this without a microphone. And uh, you are your own sort of sounding board, your own resonation board, you are your own speaker. Mm -hmm. And uh, people are always very surprised to discover that, you know, the human body is capable of creating such a loud but tender sound. Of course, it all boils down to singing ability. Because as a colleague of mine said to me last weekend, if you take out that kind of vocal production or you take out the voices, then you're going to the symphony. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that at the core of opera is is the unamplified human voice, and uh, in a in a in a dramatic setting. And when I say dramatic, it could also be comedic, but in a in a very as opposed to singing in a which uh, is a concert format, a choir or something like that. So it may sound incredibly challenging, and it is, but... I think in my case, the real, the amazing moments are less about hitting a particular note than a particular feeling that you get when things have aligned and when things become clear and the sound becomes uh, almost effortless. And sometimes, oddly, it's almost a lack of feeling because it becomes easy. You, you don't have to try as much as you've been trying to make something happen. And that's really one of the amazing things with the human voice is people think, well, it's, you're singing, it happens in your throat. And actually, very little of singing happens in your throat. Most of it happens in your breathing apparatus and in the resonating chambers in your, in your head. Uh, and it takes a long time every, for every opera singer. It's a lifetime of of really working and refining that uh, process of knowing your body and letting your body vibrate in the way that you need to let it to perform this music. So by now you're hooked. And you must be wondering, how do I get to an opera? Where do I begin? Neil has advice. In this amazing technological world that we have, there's something called YouTube. And <laughs> you can go on YouTube and you can just start searching. Um, and... So there are many, many uh, CDs, recordings uh, of sort of opera's greatest hits. And that's as good a place to start as any. Um, and if you get a good one, it will have not just you know, re really great performers, um, but it will give you a whole mix of uh, essentially a, a playlist of, of opera. And that's, you're just scratching the surface with any one of these. But with any luck, you'll have some Mozart, you'll have some 
grand uh, French opera. You'll have some some of the big Italian operas as well. Uh, maybe something earlier, uh, maybe Monteverdi, maybe some hopefully some great opera choruses, some of which are just absolutely fabulous things to listen to. Neil and Amy went a little further than YouTube. They went to opera school. After the break, we head to the UVic music department to learn about opera school. Benjamin Butterfield is a professor of voice and opera, and he's the head of voice and the co-head of performance at the UVic School of Music. His faculty picture on the UVic website is him cracking open a Hayden songbook, and his bio says, His teaching is rooted in the concepts of functional freedom, Cornelius Reed, unleashing the expressive, resonant voice, Kim Matisse Wannett, and the art of breathing, Nancy Z, while maintaining a solid foundation in the traditions of bel canto, as celebrated through the maxims of Lamperti, to avoid the decadence of this divine art. So, he's pretty serious about singing. True, but we might need to, depending how she does, we might then need to to ask you to go. And so, he was a bit trepidatious about letting Heinz observe the singing lesson he was doing with the students. See how we go. I might say, no, you got to focus now. We're doing some work. So, okay, that's fair. Okay? Yeah. Okay. In case Heinz interfered with the work. What's it about? I have my word for word. What's it about? The student was working on a particular piece of music that was in French. Um, a beautiful evening. No, what's it about? I only have my word for word. I don't know. Then look at it for a moment. Look for a moment. Read through the poem and then tell me what it's about. Okay. Okay? Ben, why is it important to know what it's about? If you don't know what it's about, you have nothing to say. You might as well shut up. You have to know what it's about. If you don't know what it's about, you might as well just bay at the moon and bark like a dog. Which is lovely. That's got value too. But... Because you have words and because you're in a different language, you have to understand the nuance of the language, the understanding of the words, the etymology of the words, history of the language, history of the period, fluidity of the language, style of the language, understanding of the, the, the elements of, of poetic forms of the language, meter of the language. All of that comes down to a subtlety of understanding. Instead of just saying words because you because you like them. That's the problem with the world today, is everyone's just, but I just like it so much. How about understanding, right? Especially in another language. Understanding the words, you'll notice, is a major theme for Benjamin Butterfield. To exhort, to admonish earnestly. What does admonish mean? I don't know. To look it up. But you have to know. Otherwise, it's just making noise, right? Mm -hmm. And that's in English. So then we have to figure out what is the nature of that word in French, and how does it sound? To exhort. Admonish means urge. To urge. What does urge mean? Keep looking. Go. Do you know what it means? I know how to use it. Wrong. You need to know what it means. It's fascinating. Language is the only thing that we've got going for us. 
as a singer, that's what we need to understand. And that's in English, right? What is urge? Getting there. Good, keep going. Get, learn to use a dictionary. Everybody uses their phone. It's, it's the death. Ben is trying to get her to understand the word in English before even getting to the fact that this piece is entirely in French. What's the word in French? Conseil. 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 It suddenly gets purpose. Now, where's my singing? There. Where's my support? There. Where's my resonance? There. Right? Mm -hmm. Not conseil. Right? Mm -hmm. I don't have to make that up. It's not about acting. It's about celebrating the understanding of a word in order to make my song clear. And that's one word. Then we put it to the next set of words. Then we find out the bigger meaning of it. Then we look at how the composer said it and what their viewpoint is. Then we look at the dynamics, right? Mm -hmm. Then we look at the accompaniment. Then we look at what it's a part of. Is it part of a group of songs or is it one song? Where did he, when did he write it? At the beginning of his life when he was, wherever he is at of his life, or later on once he's experienced things. Why that poem? What other poems? Just try to imagine keeping all of that in mind while singing opera. It becomes everything. What is language becomes everything. What is the secret of singing? Say what you mean and mean what you say. Period. Right? It's in French. You better learn to say conseil. Right? Mm -hmm. And not conseil. Okay. Conseil. Exhortation. Yeah? Okay. That's a little bit of singing. Good for you. Okay? What's required of performance? Understanding. Yeah? Passion. Investment. Do you need to be a, uh, what did you say that you weren't? And uh, the first word you looked up in the dictionary, you said? Extrovert. Extrovert. Do you need to be an extrovert? No. no. But you need to invest in what you're saying. When you're done doing that, go home and be as introvert as you want. But your job is to invest so that people live through you. Yeah? Mm -hmm. You don't have to change. You have to do your job. Okay? What's the first note? The singing is coming up. Just wait for it. So the breath you're, you're, you're left with. You take a breath into feeling that and the, the warmth and the feel and the... That's your breath, not... Now I gotta take a breath for my song because I gotta get a mark because I gotta... because I really want to sing. Rubbish. Poetry. You must... You must... allow poetry to lead you. You must allow it to affect you. So that your whole being is in response to this, right? Mm -hmm. Fire it up. Fire your imagination up. Okay? Let it then speak. Let's try once more to the end. One, two. Lost. Wait, how much more beautiful can that be? Probably more since you're asking. What do you think? Do you think that was really beautiful? Um. Could have been better? Yeah. How and why? What was wrong with it? She was holding her breath and pushing, Benjamin said. Oh, oh, that air carry. Yes, nice. That's how sort of ridiculously brave we have to be. But it's about taking a chance to make a sound that, that maybe isn't you know, that silly doing. Oh, then control it. 
How do I control it? With the vowel, with the intention of what I'm saying? Two, three. Makes my back shut down. Open up the back. Find the middle. How am I this frame that allows sound? Just like the piano, right? Mm -hmm. My ribs are way out here. Hands on your ribs. Up further. Breathe into them so they really go out. At the end of the lesson, he brings it back to the importance of knowing the meaning of the words. Love singing. Love to communicate the idea. Want to say something Nicely, calmly, beautifully, right? Genuinely, and not passively or attitude-wise or I don't really know or, right? That's why you have to know what the song is about. Apparently, the rest of the world has a lot to learn from opera. It's true. If, if all of these stupid politicians actually understood what they were saying more, I said, look, if they just put some time into actually understanding this stuff, it might make them better people. But the idea that some of these people say what they say, it's unconscionable. But even the way he speaks, it just drives me bananas. That's Justin Trudeau he's talking about. I just want to put my foot through his door. Yeah. Trudeau, yeah. stop talking like that. Yeah. Stop it. <laughs> It's like they don't know, at least his father, when he spoke, might have driven you crazy, but he was a statesman. He spoke the truth. He said what he think. And the great line was when he said, just try me. It was awesome. Speak the truth. But in order to speak the truth, you need to understand. Mm -hmm. And you need to understand in that language. Yeah. And that's not just a translation. That's myriad sources to get what is the core of it. Yeah. And go back to the English dictionary. Yeah? Mm -hmm. Not the cell phone, the dictionary, to discover mm -hmm. words along the way, their relationships. And if you don't really have a dictionary meaning of something, find it. Heinz learned a lot going to this singing lesson, but mostly what was clear is that opera training has a lot more than just being able to hit the notes. It's kind of like once you start the process going, you realize you're not having to change who you are. You're just realizing what work is. Mm -hmm. Yeah? Then it makes sense. Then whatever this is, matched with knowledge and, and understanding and belief and bravery, you know, that's what your job is. Okay. But you must go and learn that poem, understand what it's talking about, sort out those vowels. Are they closed and open? Yeah. What is the root vowel? What is a mixed vowel? How do they tie in one to the other? What do they mean? What's their color? What's their temperature? Keep going! Yeah? Go, go, go! Good for you! And Wait, That was pretty good, that line. How did that feel? Like, uh, towards the end. Right, so, but because you did it, and you understand now what that is, that's your job. What time is it? Um, past. Totally past. 
There, that's a singing lesson. So after this, Heinz needed to know more. So he found his way into the special kind of class that Benjamin does. I'm just trying to remember exactly how I found out about it. Benjamin? No. Benjamin had been avoiding my emails. He had not answered me in like a week. And so I started hunting him down. It's called a master class. He sat down with Mary to tell her about it. And I went to the music department, uh, fine arts, and I would just walk up to the um, the uh, administration person, and I would just ask her, "Is Ben in today?" And she'd be like, "Maybe he's always moving around." And I was like, "Ah, challenge." Um, and I asked her where his office was, and she said it was in the basement. I just wandered around the basement, and I don't know if you've been down in that part of Uvic before. It's so weird in like a really cool way. You walk down these stairs, and instantly there's just all these young people holding giant instruments, like cellos and like tubas, and you're just like, "Where am I? Is this like elementary school for like the marching band?" <laughs> Is this the Symbols ho- are clashing <laughs> in the background. Is this the Hogwarts of like <laughs> musicians? Um, and they all have these giant lockers to store their giant cool instruments. And then you instantly hear just kind of the low drone of all these different instruments playing. And you're like, where are these coming from? Why do they sound so low and drony? And you round a corner and like every hallway just has these little pockets of rehearsal chambers, rehearsal rooms that are semi-soundproof. But, like, just walking through the hallway, every room you pass, you just get, like, a little taste of what they're doing in there. So there's someone playing violin in one room. Then on the other side, there's someone playing classical guitar. Then you keep walking, and there's a piano player. And then you keep going a bit farther, and there's someone just practicing trumpet in the corner. And you walk down the hallway, and you turn the corner, and then there's someone, like, trying to fit their cello into this room. (laughs) Whoa. And you're just like, this is so awesome. Anyways, I got very lost trying to navigate this weird place. Labyrinthine music yeah. hallway. Yeah. And anyway, anyways, I found Benjamin Butterfield's office and the lights were off. And I was like, that's too bad. And I just thought I'd wait, like, maybe ten minutes to see if I could catch him. Anyways, I waited an hour and he didn't show up. You and sat there for an hour? Yeah. Your commitment I to had, the radio <laughs> is unparalleled. I had headphones. It's fine. Still. Um, <laughs> And then I noticed that there were these bulletin boards, like, kind of flanking his door. And and on one of the bulletin boards, there's this sign-up sheet just saying, Benjamin Butterfield's master class. And it happened every, I think every Friday or something. Um, And it was from 2.30 till 3.30, just an hour long. And there were three slots you could sign up. And I just remember thinking, like, what is a master class? And so just made a mental note. This will be fun. Um, And then I just decided to go back Friday. The initial plan was not to attend the master class. The initial plan was just to catch him before he went into the master class. So I could be like, hey, I'm Heinz. I work with CFUV. I'd like to talk to you about opera. But he never came to his office. I showed up half an hour early to just wait for him and catch him. But he never showed up. So I just, like, walked away. And then I turned this corner, and I could see a bunch of people filing into this room. And I was like, that's weird. So I followed them. And then I went, and I was, like, afraid to go in the class. So I just kind of stuck my head in. And 
people were just kind of sitting in this like very large rehearsal hall. And I was like, cool. And I left. And then there's this student talking to this older man and they're like very engaged. And then the older man leaves and goes into the same room that I just stuck my head in. And I'd catch, the, catch up to the student and I was like, was that Benjamin Butterfield? And she was like, yes. And I was like, ha ha. And then I said, Found is he, him. yeah, at last. And then I was like, is he going to do his master class in that room? And she was like, yes. And I said, double aha. And then, and then I said, would it be cool if I just went in? And she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, triple aha. And then I, uh, I went in and he was just talking to all the students and I just kind of sat in the corner and. Did he acknowledge you? No. Not even once? Like I went, I went up to him during a break, but like he didn't, no one acknowledged me being in there. <laughs> I just like slipped in and I was not like blending in. I had like bowling shoes Very on. Very conspicuous man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So how a master class works is um, there's three students who get to perform and they kind of get to sing a song with a piano player and they get to go through the song like two or three times. And the first time is by themselves with the piano player and they sing their song and it's beautiful. And then the class critiques them all the other students and it's normally good stuff like being like that was really cool i really liked how you hit that high g that was tight um love a high g high g's are the bomb um and and then they do the the peer feedback and then benjamin starts talking and he's does way he more, tear them apart not tear them apart but he's way more critical he's not afraid to like call them out for stuff um and then after his critique, he'll make the student do it again. But this time, he'll be critiquing them while they sing. Um, oh, my God. Which is just, like, really stressful to watch. Um, but they all handled it like champs. They were all super professional. Do you like trying to sing opera? It's, like, so challenging. Someone is yelling at you while you're, like, yelling. It's just, like... It's yeah, and it's, really... not, and it's not just yelling... He is yelling, but he's also, like, pantomiming what your body should be doing. And it's just, it's so weird to see Benjamin Butterfield yell, like, flood, flood, and just, like, <laughs> and just, like, rotate his body like he's a large man. And you just look over to the student, and the student's just, like, slowly trying to replicate it, too, but is not super comfortable doing that. Um, and then if there's time, they'll just kind of keep going through it until they get it. But no one got it when I was there. Well, one person almost got it. So this was the third student. She did her first take, and everyone was like, oh, that was marvelous. Well done. Um, so good. And then Benjamin Butterfield just, like, instead of critiquing her, he just, like, gets up and walks towards her. And they start, he gets up on stage with her, and he starts whispering to her, and no one can hear what he's saying. But the girl just goes... Fine, okay. And then he exits the stage. Like, the stage is big, and there's all these kind of giant doors surrounding the stage. And he just pulls out his keys and unlocked one of the doors. Just, like, it slides open. Then he walks in. And I'm just like, what is he going to bring out of this giant room? Is it going to... My first thought was, is it going to be a giant harp? (laughs) (laughs) He's like, you know what would really make this shine? One moment, please. 
<laughs> and I was like, is Ben going to join the band to start playing a harp? <laughs> but no, he doesn't bring out a harp. He, uh, he brings out this very large leather, like, table stool. But he, it's got wheels. He just, like, wheels it over. And he just tells her to get on the stool. I'm like, what is going to happen? Okay, standing on a stool on wheels does not sound very safe, but yeah. sure. Um, maybe he didn't have wheels. He just, I remember it gliding across the stage. I was transfixed. Okay. Um, but he, like, helps her on the stool. And then he, like, goes back to his spot in the audience. And he instructs her to stand on the stool and just spread her arms and then do it again. And she's like, okay. And they go through it again. And it's so much better. I like I was blown away by every performance, but this one like really stood out for me. She had her eyes closed and just like her arms were spread out. And I just there might have been like a fan machine. I don't know. Her hair might have been blowing. It just like it was so magical. The fog machine was just blowing. Yeah. Mist. While she was doing that, Ben just kept yelling at her, keep flying. You're flying. Fly. While she was singing. Yeah. Um, what made it better? She just sounded way less restricted. Almost like she was just kind of letting the... Like, the sound come out of her instead of trying to force it out. It just sounded way more natural. Was she flooding? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't know what that means. Mm, yeah, me neither. But I have an idea. Sounded so much more free and natural and powerful. And everyone agreed. They did like again. Everyone, she got a standing applause from wow. from her peers. And Ben was like, yes, that's what I'm talking about. And yeah. Whoa. Okay, I have a question. Who are the masters that take the master class? They can be any student. Oh. Um, there are like third years. There are people doing their masters. Um, in the class, there was also even like a first year student. Hmm. So anybody can be a master. I believe so. Okay. Sure. I accept that. We could be masters. Do you want to go? Yeah. <laughs> Next year. I'm really good at singing opera. <laughs> I'll, bring, I'll bring my own stool. Okay, great. <laughs> One that doesn't have wheels. Um, yeah, and then there's another person who went before her. Um, doing this crazy high-pitched singing. Where she'd be like, ha, 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 ha. And, and Ben didn't like what she was doing with her jaw. So he made her like pinch her jaw close while she sang so that she could feel her jaw moving and be more aware of it. And then there was another professor there who was t like instructing them on, she was singing in German, I think. And this professor was like, it's actually like da, not die. And they were like, oh, that makes so much more sense. And I was like, does it? <laughs> um, and yeah, so they're all just kind of like workshopping this together while these students are on stage. And it's really intense, but I also think it's like pretty like gratifying. In what way? To have that acknowledgement from your peers, as mm. well as to have your professor like, you know, acknowledge your flaws and help you like work through them. Right. In ways that, like, you can't see that you're doing. Like, your yeah. jaw could just be flapping about and you'd have no idea. Yeah. I don't know. 
it's like singing into a mirror, I guess. But you mm-hmm. know, everyone's also watching. Yeah. It's creepy. Very creepy. Okay. During all this stuff, like Ben would kind of have these like introspective moments where he would talk about what opera is and what they're trying to do in these master classes. Mm-hmm. And he would always come back to this idea that they're selling vulnerability, they're selling openness, like they're trying to make themselves as exposed as possible, as raw as they can be in order to attract that attention, in order to sell those tickets and to sell themselves being like in that state of mind. So I thought that was really interesting too. And he also talked about that a lot during the masterclass too. He would say that, you know, you lead with the words. Whereas, like, your words are what's selling your vulnerability. And then, you know, how you approach those words is what takes it to the next level. Um, Why do you think that's so important in opera versus, like, other kinds of music? Because, like, I feel like, I mean, I guess, like, when you're singing a sad song, you're, like, meaning it. But, like, why do you think opera in particular, like, is so important to, like, be able to understand and feel, like, you know, lament in four languages. I think because the singing style is so unique, it's already like pretty, pretty passionate. Yeah. And I also think it's really important because to to someone who maybe doesn't understand opera that well, a lot of opera actually can sound the same. So it's really important to like add those subtleties to it to really True. elevate it to the next level. Mm. Like someone who listens to a lot of opera will notice those really subtle changes or like, oh, wow, they said that word so tenderly. And it really just took me to that like field of wheat they were talking about. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that has to do with it. Hmm. Okay. Um, he also used, said the word, he would also say this line all the time. He says, don't just make a sound, say the word. That was another big one that he would always say. And then he kind of ended the lesson by saying that these lessons are all about having tools at your disposal and being able to release them when you want to. Ooh, like having tricks in your up your sleeve. I think it's being able to tap into that level of like empathy or sympathy or whatever it is and being able to like engage it at a moment's notice. Like on demand. Yeah, which yeah. sounds super exhausting. Like, yeah. really, like, emotionally taxing. Yeah, like, how do you hold that? And then at any moment, it's like, scene change. We're sad, you That's know? the thing. He also would say, like, how long can you keep this going? Like, how long can you hold on to that for? Yeah. Basically, singing opera requires a presence of mind and spirit that we had no idea about until we sent Heinz into the maze of the music department of Uvic with a recorder. But we're glad we did, because the next thing we got to do was go to a rehearsal. Um, we had started talking to students who were going to the university here for the singing program. And we met a first year student named Holly, who told us that everyone in the singing program was part of this kind of end of the year finale, working with the symphony. It was this old piece about nuns being executed, pretty hardcore. Um, And yeah, she invited me to go see it. So is at the Farquhar Auditorium. What's kind of like the main focus right now? What are you worried about? Or what are you trying to like kind of figure out? So in that moment, as, as the overture is being played by the two pianists, what I'm trying to get is the symmetry of the this group over here, which is a group of nuns um, mm-hmm. from the opera um, Dialogue of the Carmelites by Poulenc. So I'm trying to get the symmetry of them walking down on the ground and coming up 
while the chorus is coming the opposite way. Really right. trying to get that absolutely balanced, perfectly level. Okay. Yeah, it's really cool just to see them all kind of come together and just like realize that they're all students. Like, you know, you have this idea that an opera student is someone like very elegant and cultured, but it's just like students. They're wearing like jeans and like, you know, skateboard shoes and had like jean jackets on. I was just like, cool. <laughs> just a regular guy. Opera students are just like us. Yeah, that's the lesson I got from that. I was like, wow. Just reevaluate my whole idea of an opera singer. Yeah. It's a hard thing to time because it's they're also singing, right? Like they're they're doing yeah, you're, so many you're things. Multitasking. Go back too far again, we lose the effect, it's, right? It's, it's, a it's fine such line. a nuanced move, but when done effectively by 12 people in a row, it, it's, it's gut wrenching. Opera, we learned, is not stuffy or snobbish or only for rich people, it's gut wrenching, it's poetry, and really is just hugely misunderstood art form. It's this type of music that is meant to be experienced rather than simply listened to. Opera has had this bad reputation for being boring and inaccessible, but for the people who love it, it can be one of the most moving musical experiences you can have. This episode was produced by Nicola Watts, with help from Andrew Hines, Glenn S., and Katie Denslow. Our executive producer is Mary Decker. This program would not have been possible without the support of the Community Radio Fund of Canada and the UVic Student Awards and Financial Aid Work-Study Program. If you like what you heard, tune in next week and subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. must not be a dirty word. Being challenged must not be a mistake, right? You do it yourself. Why do I tell you? Because you're worth it and because you can do this. Hey, give me your ear. Let's, uh, let's pull back the curtain for a minute and check out behind the scenes of CFPB's podcast. Hi, my name is Aria. I am a software engineer by day and a DJ here at CFUV uh, otherwise. <laughs> um, I helped out on uh, an episode of All Access as well as an episode of Taking Up Space. I didn't realize how much work went into making a super polished and clean podcast until I actually got to help out on one. Um, it's truly a, a team effort and the only the like the best marker of that is like not even realizing how much work it takes when you're listening to it because it sounds so good and so nice um and professional i would absolutely recommend volunteering at cfuv uh they have a new round of podcasts coming up in the fall that they need help with and it's a really cool way to get involved and you don't need any experience to start out and you get to be a part of like a really cool group of people doing a really cool thing. <laughs> if you like this episode, check out our episode of Play on Words about music therapy. 
called Music Washes Away from the Soul, the Dust of Everyday Life. <laughs> 